Good morning. I think somebody overdid it. Uh, I'm offended, whoever did that. All right. Well, uh, it sure is great to have Brother Gary back with us today, like Luke said. Um, mainly for me, because um, Brother Gary usually always has something nice to say about my sermon. Uh, and so it's really great to have you back uh, for that reason, Gary. Uh, it's been a pretty discouraging past few months. <laughs> we're going to go to First uh, John chapter 5. Uh, today we're at the end of our time in First John. Um, so uh, we're kind of going to put a big, nice bow uh, and wrap up uh, our study um, today. Uh, at the end, um, there are eight verses that we're going to cover today, and seven times John says uh, the same phrase. Uh, in eight verses, seven times he says, we know. So apparently by the time we get to the end of First John, there's a few things that we're supposed to know at this point, and he's kind of just wrapping up, summarizing. There is a little bit new, but this is mostly stuff that I think uh, he wants us to have known at this point. So... Um, I usually don't give my sermons titles, uh, at least not until afterwards whenever I'm uploading them into YouTube and you have to put something on there, but uh, today I have a title, okay, and it's catchy, and it is, What Do We Know? It's pretty catchy. So, let's find out what we know. Uh, go to uh, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 13. I'm just going to pray for us one more time. Jesus, I ask that you would come uh, right now. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. Would you guide us uh, through this text? Um, would you lead us into truth? Would you bring conviction uh, where we need it? Would you bring encouragement uh, where we need it? You're the one who knows uh, which one uh, each of us needs here um, this morning and everything in between. Uh, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, starting in uh, verse 13. He says, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, this is not the first time um, that we have brought this up. A few people have uh, read this verse. Uh, I've read this verse um, in other parts whenever we've been talking through First John, uh, just because it's really helpful whenever the author uh, tells you why he's writing the letter. And so it's good to read uh, the whole letter through this scope when he says things like this. So he says, this is why I'm writing you the letter. I want you to know that you're saved. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Um, just a quick side note on that before uh, we go any further uh, in explaining it. Uh, I found something that was really cool. Um, you know, John, uh, who I believe, most of us believe, wrote this letter, also wrote the Gospel of John. And at the Gospel of John, John also makes a really similar statement about why he wrote that book. Um, at the end of John, can you see that good? Okay, yeah. Uh, he says, these are written to you so that you may believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see how strikingly similar uh, that is to the purpose of 1 John? It said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John 
His MO kind of seems to be similar all throughout his writings. Um, he writes John as like this evangelistic work. Look at all these things Jesus did. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know him and believe in him and have eternal life. And then he writes 1 John to people who already believe in Jesus. And he says, I want you, I'm, I want, I'm writing this to you so that you will know that you have that eternal life. So I just thought that was cool. I really don't have too much uh, more to say about that. I just like that. And so there you go. Uh, take or leave it. Um, but whenever I, I told you I run through these sermons with Maritza, I kind of uh, talk through them with her before um, get up here and talk on Sunday mornings usually. Um, and when I brought this verse up and I told her that we'd be talking about this, she said, you're going to talk about that again? <laughs> uh, I'm like, well, yes. Uh, one, because it's in the text that Luke told me to talk about, so I have to, uh, or I'll get fired. Um, but we're also talking about it again because it's awesome. This is an awesome verse. Find me another religion where you walk into it, and the moment you walk into it, before you've done any good, before you've changed it all, before you've done anything to appease the deity, the deity says, here's eternal life and forgiveness of sins. I'm going to use a Luke word. I defy you to find me (laughs) something like that. It's because it doesn't exist. Because that's not how religion works. That's not how priests work. That's not how gurus work. That's not how religion works. Religion says, here's eternal life. Here's salvation. Here's enlightenment. Here's that thing that you're going to work for. And I'm going to hold it up here. And you're going to work your whole life for it. And if you do well enough, maybe at the end you can have it. And that's how I control you. And that's how I get you to do what I want you to do. That's religion. That's not what we're in for. We're in on relationship. And what God says is, here's eternal life. Here's forgiveness of sins. You believe in me. You have it right now at the beginning of this relationship. And we call that grace. And it's free. And he does it because he doesn't want to control you. He wants a relationship with you. And he just gives it freely right at the beginning in hopes that in response to the grace, in response to the love, in response to the free gift, we would serve him not out of fear, but out of just gratitude and simple adoration for a Savior. So that's why we're talking about this again, because it's awesome. Okay? So this is the reason that John has written First John to, um, to these people is so that they would know that they have eternal life. And so that's the first thing that we know, okay? We know we have eternal life. Here's the second thing. Verse 14, he says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask of him. Um, <clears throat> this word confidence, he's used it several times already in the letter. Um, he uses it when he talks about our hearts condemning us, right? He says we have confidence before God if our hearts condemn us, right? Um, he also said that we have confidence before him in the day of judgment. Uh, and all of this because we know that we know Jesus and we have eternal life. But now he's saying we even have confidence whenever we come before God in prayer, Specifically, he says, we have confidence that he hears us. 
But then he says this thing. He says, and if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have what we have requested of him. So here's the thing that I think, if you lump that all together, here's what I think we should know, what he wants us to know. You can, we can know that we can have confidence when we come to God in prayer. Let me just ask you, do you pray with confidence? Would you say that you pray confidently? I know a lot of people who love Jesus who don't pray confidently. And I think that is tragic. Because what this says is that we know that we have confidence before God when we come to him. Here's the problem, okay? Um, I don't think that many of us have, have problem. I think many of us are confident with, confident with the first part. The first part says, um, if we come and ask him anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. I know a lot of people who are confident that God hears them when they pray. But I don't know very many people who are confident that their prayer is going to be answered. But what's crazy is John links the two together. He says, if we know, he says, we know that he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know that we have what we have asked of him. It's real quiet in here. (laughs) Because this just hasn't been our experience. We pray for things and it hasn't happened and it really, it messes us up uh, whenever we um, come to God in prayer again. Or, I told Maritza that I wouldn't get into this. She said, don't get into that. Um, (laughs) um, So I will. Um, But here's the problem that I think that many of us have. I'll try not to get too much into this, but I think, ironically, what messes us up about having confidence in prayer is actually something that we've interpreted that's in the same exact verse. And it's this little phrase where he says, if we ask anything according to his will. And what we've done with that is uh, anything we pray for, we stop and we say, God, would you do this? God, would you help my friend who lost his job? Would you give him a job? But let your will be done. God, would you heal this person? But let your will be done. And would you do this? Uh, but let your will be done. And how confident do you leave after praying a prayer like that? That what you have prayed is going to happen. Not very. Because you've just said, God, would you do this? But if you don't, it's okay. It's still really quiet in here. Um, I'll go talk to you guys over here. Here's the problem. Is there a lot of things that we can be confident when we come to God that we are praying into God's will? Okay? Uh, For example, when you're praying for someone to come to know Christ, do you know that it explicitly says in the Bible that God wills it that no one would perish? So you can know. You don't have to pray, God, save this person, but let your will be done. He's already said that it's his will for that person to be saved. You can come with confidence. You don't have to say, let your will be done. Okay? I, uh, and I'm going to get into this too. The Bible commands us to pray for people who are sick. James says, if anybody is sick, 
bring them before the elders and pray for them, and the prayer of faith will make the, per- the sick person well. Okay? I don't know how it all works out. I've prayed for a lot of sick people, and more than the ones who have been healed, there have been a lot more who have not been healed. Okay? Um, but I am saying that we should be able to pray confidently for people who are sick. You can come and pray with confidence for those things. And if you want to get into it, uh, when Jesus says, uh, thing, when Jesus talks about praying in faith, and the uh, writers of the New Testament talk about praying in faith, I think it's really attached to this thing about praying in confidence. <laughs> I think that's kind of what it means. It's praying confidently, believing that uh, this thing is going to happen. And I'm not perfect at this. I'm not the most confident prayer. But I think that it's something that we're all supposed to be growing in. Um, I didn't ask permission from that person to tell that story, so I'm not going to. Uh, let me just tell a story of a person who's dead so they can't uh, get mad at me. Um, there was a guy uh, named uh, George Mueller who... Um, I've talked about him before. He, he, he was this guy who basically started a bunch of these orphanages back in the 1800s, and um, he funded them and built them, and uh, they were supplied totally by prayer. He didn't ask anybody for any money. He didn't have a job. Uh, he just prayed for things, and, like, the Lord would just bring it, and it was just miraculous. And he himself said, I've had ten, tens of thousands of answered prayers in my life that they were answered on the day that I prayed them. Um, but he talked about, um, towards the end of his life, uh, actually— Towards the beginning of his uh, ministry, he started. He got five guys that he was going to pray for, um, and he said, "I'm going to pray for these guys until they get saved." And the first one took 18 months for him for that person to come to Christ. So he stopped praying for that guy and prayed for the other four. And then after that, it took um, about three years for the next person to come to Christ. And then after that, it took 30 years for the third one to be saved. And towards the end of his life. Um, I printed this out, and then I left it uh, on the printer in the office, so I'm just going to paraphrase here. Um, but at the end of his life, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, I've been praying for these guys um, for almost half a century, and, I, and this is when he said, and I'm a guy who has seen God answer tens of thousands of prayers uh, on the day that I prayed them, but these guys um, I've been praying for for 30 years, and only three of them have come to Christ. Um, and two of them remain unsaved. But he said, but they will be. That's confidence. It sounds arrogant. Sadly, in people's perception, there is a very fine line between, between confidence and arrogance. Um, I propose that we shouldn't care if people think that you're arrogant, um, if you're choosing to pray with confidence. Two years after George Mueller died, both of those guys came to Christ um, eventually. He never got to see it, but he knew it would happen. We can know that if we pray according to God's will, and let me just say this too, um, I do believe that God has bigger plans than we do sometimes. Um, But I think it's best that we work that out on the back end of things, not on the front end, if you know what I mean. Uh, The Apostle Paul 
I believe, had an affliction in his body, the thorn of the flesh. I believe it was a bodily um, problem, a malady that he had with his eyes. And he prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. And the first time, he didn't say, oh, well, uh, God didn't take it away. It must not have been God's will. He kept praying until God addressed it. And God spoke to him and said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, essentially, this is my plan and it's bigger than yours. And then he stopped praying. I think that might be a better approach for the things that we pray for. Let's go to God and let's assume that he wants to answer our prayers when we're praying for good things, when we're praying into his kingdom, and then let him work it out. But my hope is that we could pray with confidence. <clears throat> Y'all doing okay? Um. Okay, so uh, he just spoke generally about prayer and praying with confidence, um, knowing that we can come to God and pray uh, with confidence. And then he gets into a specific instance of, uh, of something that, that we pray for. Um, in verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. I have so many questions <laughs> about all that. Um, I read some books, some books that Luke gave me uh, about what that means, and um, let's just suffice it to say that nobody's very confident. Uh, uh, you'll notice that in all the verses here that's all over and over again where he says, we know, we know, we know, it does not say that anywhere right here. <laughs> uh, so I don't think that he expected the people that he was talking to to know this, so I feel a little bit better about that. Um, but there are a few interpretations of it, and if you want to talk about that, if you're not satisfied with that answer, you can go um, read one of those books. But uh, let's just suffice it to say this. Um, yeah, he says that there's a sin that leads to death and you shouldn't pray for that person. Um, but he does say, don't let, that, don't let that sin that you shouldn't pray for that, that leads to death keep you from praying for this one that he said this about. He said, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he shall ask God and he will give him life. That is pretty cool. Don't let that second part that we're confused about take away from that. This is what we're talking about. This is George Mueller. This is what we were just talking about with him. George Mueller saw these brothers, and he prayed for them, and I believe he gave them life. We have this confidence before God. We're coming before God, the God who hears us, and the God who is granting our requests and he says that we can pray for people and give them life. What's really cool about the, the, the Greek in this verse is uh, it, if you have the ESV, it says, um, if anyone sees a brother pr uh, committing sin, uh, he shall ask, being the person, but it says, and it says God will give him life. Um, but in the Greek, that's just an interpretation. It doesn't actually say who the he is. Uh, so it could be saying that the person praying gives him life through his prayers. It's ambiguous. But that's the point, isn't it? Like, it's through the person's prayers that this person 
is coming to life. This gives me hope. Because I want my, uh, my physical, my earthly blood brother to come to life. I desperately want to see my brother come to life. And what this is saying here is that I can come to God in confidence and I can pray and God will give him life. And I'm banking on that. I, want, <laughs> I wish I was as confident as George Mueller to stand up here and say, and he will. Um, I'm not quite there yet, but I want to get there. But so I keep praying. I don't know who it is in your life. I don't know if you have a brother or a sister or a friend or um, you name it. But keep praying for that person. Because it says that God will give them life. Doing astonishingly astonishingly good on time. Um... (laughs) Is that, is that right? Okay. Um, I want to say this one more thing about, um, about approaching God with confidence, mainly just because I forgot to say it earlier. Um, I had one of, the, one of my favorite things about being a youth pastor um, is not just uh, getting to teach Bible lessons, but also getting to, um, by God's grace, lead kids into experiences with God. Um, and so one of the big ways that we do that is by praying a lot of times for silly things. Uh, we pray, uh, for Xboxes and donuts and, uh, dumb things like that. Uh, things that I've talked about up here. Um, there was one time where, uh, we were praying for, uh, or we were at a youth camp and, um, the kids were getting ready to do a talent show, and I prepped the kids on this talent show. It happens every year. I've been to a hundred of them before, and I said, okay, at two minutes, they will cut you off, okay? Uh, that's what they do, because there's like a bunch of acts, and they're just, they, to be fair, they just cut everybody off at two minutes. They shut off the lights and the sound, and they just play music, and you're just done. Uh, it's very, it feels very rude, but just don't be offended by it, and so they were trying to practice this song. A bunch of our kids are very musical, um, and they were practicing this song, and they could not get this song. They cut a bunch of things. They cut everything they could, and they got it down to two minutes and seven seconds. Um, And they could not get it any shorter than two minutes and seven seconds, no matter what they did. And so uh, they were all stressing out about it, and it was like time to go. And I was like, guys, like, this is not a big deal. They do it to everyone. You know, they're going to cut off other people. It's fine. And uh, one of the kids was just so adamant. They were a little bit of a diva. Uh, But they said, no, this has to work. We have to make this perfect. And so they're like, can we just, let's just pray about it, guys. And so um, they, they said, okay, well, we're going to pray about it. And I was like, y'all are, y'all are dumb, um, but fine, go ahead and pray about it. And so they prayed about it, and they said, uh, they, they just said, God, like, uh, help us to get this um, down into the right time limit so we don't, you know, get cut off. And so we walked in there, and the MC comes up on the stage, and he's explaining how everything works. And he said, he got him, he's like, all right, guys, you got... Uh, you come up here and do your act. Um, you have two minutes and seven seconds to perform your act, and then after that, we're going to shut it all down and cut everything off. And immediately, all the kids were sitting in the row in front of me, and all t- they all turned around like, <laughs> uh, "Who sets 
the time for two minutes and seven seconds on an app. What an arbitrary number uh, to, to play. And so, we, you know, the kids saw that, and they just knew, like, man, God answered this silly little prayer uh, that we had, and they were so excited, and it was such a cool moment. And so things like that have happened, uh, like, by God's grace in our youth ministry, and it's been so fun uh, to see things like that happen. Um, and so over time, some of our kids kind of just started to buy into this, that, like, when I pray, like, God answers my prayers, um, even for these little silly ones. And so... A few of these kids were out with their family, and they were going to um, uh, like a theme park or camping or something outside, and it started to rain. And uh, they said to, uh, you know, they were all getting sad and like, oh man, like the day's ruined and all that stuff. And one of the kids said, why don't we pray that the rain goes away? And uh, the dad turned around and said, no. No, we're not going to do that because you shouldn't ask God for things like that because you should see God as like the president. Uh, he's very important and he's, he's very powerful, but he's very important and he's doing a lot of other really important things. Um, it's, you shouldn't be bringing him these little things. Um, he's you know, too important, got too many things going on like that. And that really broke my heart to hear that, to, to hear this kid's soul wanting to pray and see God do something, get crushed uh, uh, in that moment. Um, But here's the problem is I think that a lot of us don't pray with confidence because we do see God like a president who is powerful but distant or powerful but busy or powerful but too important. But to use that same man's illustration and to combine it with John's words— See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Here's the thing. Yes, God is the president. But in the illustration, the president is your dad. The president is important and he is powerful and he is running the universe. But he also stops to be with his children. And he also stops to spoil them. I've done my best. I'm the least spoiler of my kids in the house, but I still spoil them. <laughs> spoil them. <laughs> uh, I love to see the pictures of, uh, you know, like John F. Kennedy with like playing with his kids in the Oval Office. He's got them on his lap. He's running the free world. He's got <laughs> the Cuban Missile Crisis and all these crazy things that were happening at that time going on. And he's still taking time to play with his kids and be with them. I'm sure that they just waltzed into the Oval Office. And that's what we're talking about when we approach God with confidence. We're coming to him as his children because he's not only the president, he is our dad. Your father is the king. Well, now that I shared that story, I don't have a lot of time uh, for the rest. So we know that we have eternal life. We know that we have confidence uh, coming before God. And we know that we shouldn't pray for the sin that leads to death, but we don't know what that means. Um, here's the other thing um, that we know. Uh, verse 18, it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
I'm going to try to go through this part fairly quickly, but this sounds very cool. It says that anyone who's been born of God, the one who is born of God, Jesus, protects him, and the evil one cannot touch him. And so what I want to do as a preacher who thinks that he sounds very awesome in his head when he gets up to preach um, and very manly and, you know, very cool. Uh, but I go back and listen to myself on the sermon uh, tape. I sound like Stuart Little. Um, so I want to get up here and I want to pound the, it's not, a, it's not a pulpit, it's a podium. I want to pound this thing and I want to say, the devil can't touch you. Because that preaches and that sounds awesome. But what does that mean, that the devil can't touch you? Does that mean that the devil can't tempt you? I think he can. Does that mean that the devil cannot try to intimidate you? I think he can. Does that mean that the devil can't speak to you and lie to you and accuse you? And I think that he can. I even believe that the devil can influence us if we allow him. And so, if he can do all those things, it sure does sound like he can do a lot. <laughs> and so that's not as fun to preach. Here's what I think this means. Um, if you go, I think it's um, got a very cool parallel back in John's Gospel. Um, Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. And he talks about this thief, the devil. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Then he goes on, he says this, My sheep listens to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. I believe this is what we're talking about. Jesus has said, I have given them eternal life and no one can snatch them out of my hand. And I believe this is what it means in 1 John. And the devil wants to touch you. The devil wants to harm you. And what this has been all about the entire time, I want you to know that you have what? Eternal life. So I really believe this is what John's talking about here is the devil cannot take your eternal life. This gift that Jesus has given of life, the devil cannot take it. It's got this... Um, this parallel here, and, uh, or this contrast, I should say. Uh, see, the devil cannot touch us, but the world, by contrast, it says it lies in the power of the evil one. And that word uh, almost is like the picture of somebody laying down. Almost, you can imagine it like the world is being like lying in the arms of the devil. It's kind of a scary thought. But the same devil who has the whole world lulled to sleep in his arms, says, cannot touch you. Cannot touch the life that Jesus has given you. And that's something to rejoice about. If you're somebody who is worried, you know, um, you know, the devil's coming after me, or the devil's big, and the devil's scary, or the devil's gonna, you know, uh, make me sin, or the devil's gonna, he cannot take the eternal life that Jesus has given you. You are held in Jesus' very own hands, and the devil has no power to reach through and touch you. Okay. That's good news.
All right. This is the last thing. Um, this is the last couple of verses of First John, and I will say I think it ends just as beautifully as it began. Um, it says, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know Him, Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's good. I want to read that just one more time. And it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. I could just stop right there, um, I think. But unfortunately, I won't. I just want to point out there, there is something cool left to, to be said about this. Um, throughout this entire section that we've been talking about, it goes through all these things that we know. It says, we know this, we know that, we know this, we know that. Um, we know that we have confidence. We know that the devil can't touch us, all this stuff. Um, but the last thing that he mentions that we know is the most important, and it's this. We know that the Son of God has come. And is that, that is what this has been about the whole time, is it not? The Son of God has truly come. And John said, we saw him. And we heard him. We ate with him. We touched him. This, if you don't know, any, if you don't know anything else, if you don't know any of the other things that we know, know this. The Son of God has come. Praise God. And the coolest thing, though, is that there is a result of this. So seven times he says, we know. And each time he lists off some uh, intellectual thing that we know in our head. Um, but here at the very end he says, and he says it again, we know in our head that the Son of God has come. But the result, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. He lists this very last thing that we know in our head, so that, not just we know all these things in our head, but so that it leads to we know a person. We know him. It says, we know all these truths. We know all these truths that, yes, we know that we have eternal life. We know that we have confidence, all that stuff. But this very last one, he says, we know the Son of God came, and because of that, we know him who is true. We don't just know these truths in our head. We know him who is true. That is awesome. So more than anything that is important about these things that you know in your head, the greatest reward, better than knowing that you have eternal life, better than the perks, better than knowing that the devil can't touch you, better than knowing that you can pray with confidence, the best thing is none of these truths that we know. The best thing is the person that we know is having this relationship with God. That's the best. That's the icing on the cake. That's the end of 1 John is, y'all, we know him. We know him who is true. Not only that, he says we are in him who is true. It's funny, 
there are these, these guys that John is writing this book really against, and uh, they're claiming that the special thing they have is this knowledge. We know this thing. We know this uh, secret, supernatural knowledge, and it gives us enlightenment, and it gives us this freedom, and it gives us all this stuff. And John says, keep your knowledge, because we know him. This is good stuff. This is First John. This is why we have reason to rejoice this morning, as we know him.